0: Thank you, Marty. Thank you, kids, for that awesome demonstration of what we did during VBS. Can we give them another round of applause? Love seeing the kids. That was awesome. Uh, My name is Nathan Parikh. I'm blessed to serve as the discipleship pastor here at Hallmark. Uh, And if you're brand new, we're so excited that you've chosen today to be a part uh, of our worship services. If you are brand new, I'd love it if you could do us a favor and there's a QR code on the back of the pew in front of you or there's a connect card right in front of you. If you would, just fill that out and let us know that you are here with us. We would love to send you a free gift card to Chick-fil-A if that's all right with you. And so if you would, fill out one of those cards or fill out that QR code in front of you. That would be awesome. Um, so I'm so excited to be here to preach on VBS Sunday during family worship. And so we have the kids in here. And so I love it that we uh, have children in our church. We have a thriving kids and student ministry. And so as we hear the noises of kids rustling around and uh, maybe making some noise, uh, let's, let's celebrate that we have kids in service during church today, okay? I always love, love hearing that. But like Allison shared, it was, a, it was an awesome, awesome week at Vacation Bible School Uh, record number of kids, record number of volunteers, record number of salvations for us in a long time. And so it was just a real privilege to be a part of that. Uh, And again, thank you to all the volunteers who helped make that happen. Vacation Bible School would not happen without you. Uh, I found like a fitting picture for us, I feel like at the end of the week, if you wanna throw that up there, uh, Preston, on on Thursday on your way home, (laughs) this is probably how you felt. Thumbs up, we made it, it was awesome. And it's time for a nap. So I hope between then and now that you have gotten that good VBS nap. But I just kind of felt like that was the overall vibe by the time we were all all done. But it was totally, totally worth it. Uh, But we are in week seven of our series going through the Psalms. And so if you would open your Bibles with me to Psalm chapter seven. That's where we will be today, and as you turn there, as you heard, as you saw, our Vacation Bible School theme this year was was twists and turns, and it's a game-inspired theme. We had a lot of different games going around, and most people like games, whether you're into athletic sports or board games or video games, right? All of us like some type of game, but we really like the games that we can win at. We really enjoy the games where we know that we can walk in and that we can dominate, or we enjoy it when our sports teams play their rivals and they win, like when the uh, Cowboys play the Eagles, right? And, and the Cowboys win, right, Alex, Brett, because I know there's a few, uh, few Eagles fans in here. We always enjoy when our guys win, when our team wins. Uh, but when we go through the game of life, when we go through the story of my life and your life, it doesn't always feel like uh, our team wins. It always doesn't feel like good wins against evil. Um, Because that's all the great stories go, all of of our favorite movies, all of our favorite books. um, It always gets difficult, but in the end, we always know, even if we've never read the book before, or we haven't seen the movie before, that somehow this is all gonna work out to where the good guys will become triumphant, right? But then we go through life and we look around the world. It's like, man, it seems like there's a lot of bad guys. It seems like there's a lot of evil in the world. And it always, doesn't always feel like that they're actually losing. It doesn't always seem like there's a clear path for good to win in this world. And so as we can look around and as we see what's going on in the world, we see just what's going on in our country or maybe even in your own life and your own family, it's like, who's in charge of all of this? You know, why is this happening? How will this be made right? And that's just the human experience as we go through life. The things that we experience leads us to those questions. And so this leads us to Psalm chapter 7. You know, we're going chapter by chapter through the book of Psalms for 10 weeks. And it's been a great series. And as a biblically driven church, I appreciate the fact that every week when we come here, you can be confident that we're going to open up the Bible And we're not going to give you our opinions. We're just going to give you what the Bible says. I really appreciate that about Hallmark. And so this series has already hit on a lot of the great topics. And so if you've missed any of them, you can catch up either on our website or on YouTube. But in Psalm 7, David points out some things about God that are not commonly talked about in our culture. So let's go ahead and dive in to Psalm chapter 7. And I'll be reading from the NLT today. A Psalm of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning Cush of the tribe of Benjamin. I come to you for protection, O Lord my God. Save me from my persecutors, rescue me. If you don't, they will maul me like a lion, tearing me to pieces with no one to rescue me. O Lord my God, if I have done wrong or if I am guilty of injustice, if I have betrayed a friend or plundered my enemy without cause, then let my enemies capture me. Let them trample me into the ground and drag my honor in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in anger. Stand up against the fury of my enemies. Wake up, my God, and bring justice. Gather the nations before you and rule over them from on high. The Lord judges the nations. Declare me righteous, O Lord, for I am innocent, O Most High. End the evil of those who are wicked and defend the righteous, for you look deep within the mind and heart, O righteous God." God is my shield, saving those whose hearts are true and right. God is an honest judge. He is angry with the wicked every day. If a person does not repent, God will sharpen his sword. He will bend and string his bow. He will prepare his deadly weapons and shoot his flaming arrows. The wicked conceive evil. They are pregnant with trouble and give birth to lies. They dig a deep pit to trap others, then fall into it themselves. The trouble they make for others backfires on them. The violence they plan falls on their own heads. I will thank the Lord because he is just. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. So when David writes Psalm chapter 7, the occasion for the Psalm is that David is being attacked. David is being slandered. David is under attack, not by the Philistines, not by some outside force or outside enemy of Israel, but he's being attacked by his own people. And that's what makes it so, more, so much more hurtful for him. Now, when it says Cush, we don't know exactly who David is referring to. Some people think it's Saul himself. Some people think it's a family member of Saul. Some people think it's Joab. But regardless, this is someone within the tribe of Benjamin, someone within Israel, someone that is close enough to David to where they have betrayed him, and it hurts. And one of the things I love about the Bible and about the Psalms is about how real and authentic scriptures are. The Bible never paints a picture of a life of a follower of God that is free from trouble or free from difficulty or free from pain in this world. It shows you the good, it shows you the bad, and especially David in the Psalms, he shows you the highs and the lows of a life that follows the Lord. And we face evil and injustice today, but that's nothing new, right? God's people have always had to face evil and injustice no matter where they lived or what time period they had been living. And we look at David, he's he's the king of God's chosen people. He's a man after God's own heart. Surely he would have had an experience that was more exempt from this type of hurt, from this type of experiencing evil in the world, and yet even he was not exempt. David, a man after God's own heart, the king of Israel, was still not exempt from experiencing the evil and the pain of living in a fallen world. And so what I want us to focus on today from this psalm, there's so much in these verses, but what I want us to kind of hone in on today is that, yes, there is evil, there is sin, there is wickedness in the world, there is sin in my heart and your heart. But there's also a God. And the one true God of the universe who's revealed to us in the Bible and what you believe about him determines your perspective on good and evil in the world. And so the title of today's message is Holy or hollow, holy or hollow. Because the gods of this world, they're hollow. They cannot define what is good or bad, what is good or evil. And because of that, there is no true justice when people follow the gods of this world. Because the gods of our culture do not have anger against evil, because anything goes as long as you do what makes you happy. And so, wickedness and so evil is allowed to flourish. And it's allowed to thrive. I think that's evident when you look around at our country. When you look around just at the world stage in general. But the God of the Bible, he is holy. He is just. He is righteous. And he does not change based on what is popular or accepted in culture. He does not change based on what is politically correct today. And we learned that in Vacation Bible School on day number one. The kids learned that Jesus is holy. And he is good. And because he is good, he does not let sin go unanswered. And so the main thing I want you to take away from the message today is this, that because God is good, he fixes what is broken. He fixes evil. He fixes sin because that's the root cause of all that is broken in the world. But because he is good, he is going to fix it. So let's kind of walk through the psalm together this morning. So who? will do the fixing. Well, of course, David turns to God in verses one and two. David says, I come to you for protection, O Lord my God. Save me from my persecutors. Rescue me. So, so put yourself in, in David's shoes, if you will. I think every single one of us knows to some degree what it feels like to be treated unjustly, to have something unfair happen to you or to be attacked in some unprovoked way. To some degree or another, I think all of us have experienced that. But what makes David's experience unique is that David is king. David has both the power and even the legal authority to execute judgment and revenge on whoever he wants to. And no one would bat an eye. Right? David was the supreme ruler and law of the land. He was king. This was not a, a democracy. And he could have uh, had judgment and revenge on whoever he wanted to. And yet, what does David do? He he does not retaliate in public. He doesn't do something on his own. Instead, he brings the pain, he brings the hurt, he brings the betrayal to God himself. David enters God's courtroom, if you will, and he brings this injustice to God. As you go through this psalm, you kind of see that David uses a lot of courtroom language. He talks about guilt, justice, injustice, judgment. It just is throughout the whole psalm, that type of language. And I think what David does, I think is a great pattern for us as well. When injustice, when evil, when we experience that, the first person that we should bring that to is God. As, because as, as Christians, we believe that God will take care of us and that God will address evil some way in his timetable and the way that he wants to, but God will address it. See, what our culture believes was they believe in things like karma, Things like fate, uh, things like just vague optimism. Well, hopefully everything will eventually turn out all right someday. But there's no solid foundation there. But for us as Christians, we know that God is in control. And just like we say every Sunday, God is good, right? And he's good all the time. And so we can put our faith and hope in that. And the beautiful thing about it though is that not only is God righteous and perfect and holy, but he is loving enough that he cares about the injustices and the pains that you and I face. So God's people, we've always lived in unrighteous, wicked times. Well, we've always been able to go through those times because we know that ultimately God will make all things right because he himself is the definition of righteousness. And So David understands that and he brings his pain to God. And then in verse three, David pleads his innocence to God. He says, O Lord my God, if I have done something wrong, or if I am guilty of injustice, if I have betrayed a friend or plundered my enemy without cause, then let my enemies capture me. Let them trample me into the ground and drag my honor in the dust. And in verse eight, it ends by saying, Declare me righteous, O Lord, for I am innocent, O Most High. We can't spend too much time here, but I can't help but note that David is willing to accept the consequences if he has done something wrong. Now, David is not here saying that he is perfect or sinless, he's never done anything wrong. He's talking about this specific example, he is the innocent party. And David brings that to God as someone who has been wronged and he's also honest with God and saying, hey, if I am wrong, I am willing to accept your judgment. And I think that's a very honest place for Christians to be as well. Christians are not people who run away from responsibilities, We understand that when we do wrong, there are often consequences to that. But what makes Christians different is that we, we pair that with repentance. We understand that God, even though he may uh, discipline us, like Pastor John talked about last week, God does so out of love with a heart of restoration. So that's an important thing to note. The, the, uh, the gods of this world are hollow and they offer no protection from evil. The God of the Bible is holy and he will confront evil. David understands that, and that's why he's able to bring this injustice to God. So because God is good, he fixes what is broken. So God is going to be the one that fixes evil in the world. But why would God even bother to fix it? Well, first of all, if you look at verse 7, because God has the authority to fix it. Verse 7, the Bible says, Gather the nations before you, rule over them from on high. And then verse 8 starts by saying, The Lord judges the nations. David recognizes God as the perfect and impartial judge that reigns over not only our world, but the entire universe. And as owner of all of that, he stands sovereign over all of creation and God has the right. God has the authority to execute judgment as he pleases. And that's encouraging for us because we know the heart and the character of God is that he is good and he is full of love. So he has the authority, he has the power, It's one thing to have the power, but it's another thing to have even the desire to address the evil. But God does that because in verse nine, we see that God is good. So why will God fix it? It's because he has the authority, but also we believe that God is good. Verse nine says, end the evil of those who are wicked and defend the righteous. For you look deep within the mind and heart, O righteous God. And then verse 11 starts by saying, God is an honest judge. God defends the righteous because he is righteous, because he is good. In Vacation Bible School, again, we, they uh, talked about how Jesus is holy and Jesus is trustworthy. And there's so many different places in scripture that, that talk about this. But even if you just wanna stick with the Psalms, Psalm uh, chapter uh, 89, verse 14 says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Unfailing love and truth walk before you as attendants. I love that whole imagery of God as being righteous and justice and unfailing love and truth are with him at all times. In Psalm 111 verse 7, he says, all he does is just and good and all his commandments are trustworthy. Do we believe that about God? Do we believe that all he does is just and fair and good? We have to believe that as Christians. That's what the Bible reveals to us about the God that we serve. But as we go through life and we are challenged with evil or we are wronged or injustice is done to us, we have to question, that's when those things pop up. Like, man, does God really love me? Does God really care? Is he actually good? Because if he is good, then why did this evil thing happen to me, to my family, to my loved ones? And that's when you have to be secure in this and understand that God is always good. And God never stops being good, even for a moment. But God is only good if evil and sin are ultimately addressed. And we see in verse 6 and 11 that the reason why God will address evil in the world, one of the reasons, is because he is angry with the wicked. In verse 6, David says, Arise, O Lord, in anger. Stand up against the fury of my enemies. Wake up, my God, and bring justice. Then verse 11, God is an honest judge. He is angry with the wicked every day. Like I mentioned at the beginning of this message, David points out some things about God that maybe we're not used to hearing about in our culture. Uh, And this is definitely one of them. It's clear, though, in verse 6 and 11 that God does get angry. He's angry with sin. He's angry with those who do sin. The Bible teaches that God is slow to anger, but God does, in fact, get angry. And he has to because he is good. But always remember that God's anger does not cancel out God's love for you either. You know, we, we don't talk a lot about God's anger. But in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's clear that God is angry with sin and evil. And while I get it, that might make us squirm a little bit to think about God being an angry God. Uh, that's not something that is as common today to, to, to uh, think about. Oftentimes, I think that comes from the fact that we uh, don't fully understand God's anger or we project our negative human experiences of, of, of human anger, we project that onto God and think that's what he must be like if he is angry. Some of us have been deeply hurt uh, by angry words or angry actions of friends or, or family members. Uh, and so when we think about God being angry, we can maybe shudder at the thought of, of that. But that misplaced, that abusive type of anger is not what the Bible attributes to God. God is not, um, you know, walking around in heaven, throwing a temper tantrum, just looking for someone to judge, okay? That's not the type of anger that the Bible describes God as having, No, his anger is always righteous, it's always good, and it's always under his holy control because he is always righteous. Now, if God did not get angry at sin, then we could not believe all the other things that the Bible talks about. When it talks about God being good and kind and loving and our Savior, all of that would be hollow if God was not, in fact, angry with the things that were destroying his most precious creation. Tim Keller said this, he said, the reason God is so angry at the sin and evil that's destroying the human race he loves and made is because he's so filled with love and goodness. If he wasn't filled with love and goodness, he wouldn't care, right? And that makes sense if you just think about your own family. There's a lot of people in the world right now who are hurting and suffering, and and we can't take on the burden of that. But if someone was to wrong your child or your grandchild, to intentionally do them harm, you would be angry. And rightfully so, because you love that grandbaby. You love that child. If you didn't love somebody, if you didn't care, then, you know, I'm sorry that happened, but it's not my problem, right? But God, when he sees us, he sees humanity affected, damaged, crushed by the curse of sin and evil in the world, that moves his father's heart and he has to take action. And that is why God is angry with sin. But that brings us to the most difficult part, the part that maybe drives people to want a hollow God instead of a holy God. Because when we talk about evil in the world, evil out there being addressed, it's like, yeah, God, go get them. They deserve your just wrath. But when we talk about God's justice addressing the evil in me, it's like, oh, I don't really want that to happen. I don't want to experience God's judgment or God's wrath against my sin. But because God is perfect, because God is fair, God does not play favorites. You know, we all want justice, but then when it comes to God treating us justly, we say, maybe not quite that much, right? And that's, that's the challenge that, that we face. Now the gods of this world, they're hollow because they have no authority or ability to address evil and so they are powerless. But the God of the Bible is holy and he has the authority to be angry with sin and to confront it. And because he is good, he will fix what is broken. So if God is going to fix what is broken, then that leads us to the next question, how? How does God fix that which is broken? We see in verse 12 that he calls us to repentance. David says if a person does not repent, God will sharpen his sword He will bend and string his bow. He will prepare his deadly weapons and shoot his flaming arrows. What an image David gives us here. You know, David was a warrior and he understood the imagery of war. He had probably used all of these weapons himself in the many battles that he fought before and during his time as king. But he lays out here for us two paths in very clear, very vivid terms. The first one is the path of repentance. And what repentance is, is turning from sin, even turning from trusting in your own good works, and you're turning to trust in Jesus only to save you. And that's one of the things our our kids learn in Vacation Bible School as well is what does it mean to repent? It's turning away from that which is sinful and trusting in your own goodness, and you're turning to Jesus only and trusting Him for salvation. And again, we see, even in the midst of this difficult psalm that talks about God's anger and wrath against, against that which is evil in the world, we see here the heart of God and the heart of, gospel, the heart of the gospel where he is offering this. See, God has the right, he has the authority to not offer this at all to us. He has the authority to just look out in the world, see the evil, and execute judgment and be done. But instead, God is constantly in scripture, stretching out his hand to humanity, to each of us, to you and to me, saying, I am offering you a chance. I am offering you hope. I am offering you help. I am offering you this moment, this time to turn away from sin and take my hand and be saved. Now, if we accept, how does that even allow God to fix the problem of sin. Say, okay, sure, I repent, I turn away from my sins and I, and I turn to Jesus, but how does that really fix the main issue? Well, what happens when you admit that you are a sinner, when that you have done evil things, you have desired evil things? You, you read this Psalm and you realize that the default human condition is not neutral. The, the default human condition is that we're on the wrong side, right? In, in the game of life, we're the bad guys. God's the good guy. It's like, oh man, I'm, I'm on the wrong team here. And we're the people that God is talking about initially that he is angry with. Because once you admit that you are a sinner and you, and you have desired and done wicked things, and then you read this Psalm and God is angry with the wicked every day, he's, he's getting ready his weapons of warfare for judgment. It's like, oh man, I do not wanna be in that position. But this is where the gospel comes into play. And the beauty of who Jesus is overshadows every other religion, every other leader that's ever been. And Colossians 1.21 describes us before salvation as you were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. The Bible describes the default human condition as being enemies of God. We're not just passive sideline observers. We're actively fighting against that which God desires. So if that's the case... What should the righteous judge of the universe do to his enemies? What should happen is is judgment. That's what should happen. And he would not be good if he did not judge sin. But then here is where Jesus steps in and he offers to take our place. See, God's judgment is still going to be done. It still will be accomplished. But when we come to God and we repent and accept him, Jesus crosses out our name on the certificate of judgment, and Jesus writes his name in there. Amen? Amen? Guys, there's a literal literal cricket over here, and if all I hear is a cricket instead of amens the whole time, I'm gonna be disappointed. (laughs) Jesus is offering us this, this hope that we are on the chopping block, if you will, and Jesus steps in and says, no, I will take their place. See, God's justice, God's judgment will be done. The question is, will it be done on you or will you accept the judgment that Jesus took in your place? That's the power of the gospel. On the cross, Jesus offered himself as an atoning sacrifice to God to remove our guilt and turn the Father's wrath away from us. Nobody else does that. No other religion offers that. Every other man-made system in the world offers us a DIY solution. You have to do it yourself. You have to work for it, you have to earn it, and you have to hope that you're good enough so that someday, whatever God you stand before will say, hey, you know what, you tried pretty hard, come on in. But that is not what a perfectly just, perfectly righteous God would do. A holy God cannot allow any element of sin to enter into his courtroom, to enter into his home. And he knows that, and that is why Jesus came. If you and I could be holy enough on our own, if we could earn our way into heaven, Jesus would not have come and died on the cross for our sins. He would not have allowed himself to be nailed to a tree for no reason. He did that because he had to do that. Otherwise, you and I have no hope. Romans 5.8 says this, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were still evil and wicked and while we were his enemies, while we were actively working against him, he loved us at that moment. That is the good news, is that God loved you long before you ever had a thought about him. God loved you. Think about your lowest, most shameful, most darkest point in your life. You probably try to forget that moment, but think about that just for a second. God saw you in that moment. He saw you at that most epic failure, your darkest sin in your life. And that's when he said, I'm going to take your place. That's when he said, I love you right now. God didn't wait for you to clean up your act. God didn't wait for you to come to church. God saw you in your darkest moments and said, that is when I will choose to lay down my life for you. That's the power of the gospel. The Bible never teaches us that you have to stop being a sinner and then God will save you. The Bible teaches that God saves you and then you stop being a sinner. That's the difference between Christianity and every other religion. So that's path one, the path that God offers to all of us. I hope that you will take that. But path two, the Bible is clear, is the path that rejects repentance and faith in Jesus. And so that's when we see what happens if you don't repent. What happens if you follow the hollow gods of this world and trust in your own good works to save you. God certainly acts here and now, but ultimate judgment takes place in eternity. And that's another thing that our culture does not like talk about is eternal separation and judgment from God in hell but like we said either Jesus pays for your sins or you pay for your sins because he is just evil and sin have to be paid for the only question is will you accept the payment that Jesus has already made on your behalf or will you choose to do it yourself you have to understand that God is the one who created hell Oftentimes I think we think that you know, Satan is the one that made hell, he's trying to drag us there. No, Satan, his destination is hell. It's not his creation, it's his destination. God made hell to judge sin, but God does not want you to go there. And that is why Christ came. You know, In church, we talk all the time about salvation, about getting saved. It's, well, saved from what? It's saved from the wrath of God. It's saved from eternal judgment that God is going to do. And just for sake of time, how, how do we know, how will God address this? We have the immediate the here and now that God wants to address in you. But still, what about the larger question of evil in the world? What about the larger question of all the wickedness that we see that just seems to be unstoppable? Well, well thankfully, we have been given the entire book and we see the end of the story. And of course, we don't have time to get into all the details. But I want to share quickly with you a couple of verses from Revelation Because when you look at Revelation chapters 19 through 21, I would encourage you to go home and read those chapters today. The, 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 uh, The Jesus that you encounter there is anything but hollow. He is a holy judge and he is the righteous king of the universe. In Revelation 19, one is a song of victory. It says, after this, I heard what sounded like a vast crowd in heaven shouting, praise the Lord, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. His judgments are true and just. Then verse 11 says, Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Then in in Revelation 20, we see the defeat of the devil. It says, Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will, will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I love, then, the next chapter in Revelation 21, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Why will God be able to wipe away our tears? It's because justice will have been completed. Sin will be eradicated and evil will be forever conquered. That's why you and I will be able to worship him without hindrance for all of eternity because we know that there is a final solution to the problem of sin, to the problem of evil in the world. The gods of this world have no solution for our sin problem. But because God is good, the God of the Bible is holy, he fixes what is broken. And so where, where does that leave us then? How does David end this Psalm in Psalm chapter seven? After thinking about all of the injustice and pain that David has had to endure, he says in verse 17 of Psalm seven, I will thank the Lord because he is just. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. David ends after all of this pain, all of this suffering, and he ends with thanksgiving and praise to God because he knows that God will address this wickedness. And so we have to understand that we cannot fix ourselves. Yes, there is evil in the world. God will address it on a large scale someday. But the sin that's within each of us, you and I cannot do anything on our own to fix that. And that's exactly what the kids learned about and that's what they sang about here is the ABCs, and Pastor John talks about that almost every week. You have to admit that you are a sinner. Romans three twenty three says, "For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God." You have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. In Ephesians chapter two verse eight says, "God saved you by His grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So, so none of us can boast about it." And C, you have to confess. You have to confess your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. In Romans chapter 10, verse nine says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a promise from God to you. You can be, you will be saved if you admit, if you believe and you confess that Jesus is Lord. So as Marty comes up to play, I'm gonna ask that you would bow with me in prayer. We're gonna close the service just in a time of worship, but also I wanna offer you this, this time, this chance to respond. I know that probably not used to hearing about God's wrath and God's anger, but never forget that God is offering repentance. Never forget that that is offered from a place of love. God does not want you to experience his wrath or his justice because Jesus already took that for you. And so if today after hearing this, after hearing about how God will address evil in the world. Christians, maybe you have been going through some hard times, some trying times. You've been wondering if God cares and you haven't been doing what David does and bringing that pain to, to God. I would encourage you today that once the invitation starts, just to, just to pray. You can come forward or just pray right where you're seated. Bring that pain and bring that injustice to God. Or maybe you have been harboring some unconfessed sin in your life and you are reminded this morning that God is a perfect holy God that does not tolerate it, God extends to us as his children that chance to be cleansed. If we confess our sins, the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if there's someone here today and you have felt God's Holy Spirit working on your heart, drawing you, if you say, man, I I don't know that I would be spared from God's righteous judgment because I I am a sinful person. I've done evil things. I've thought evil things. I've desired evil things. And I have been trusting in my own goodness. I haven't put my faith completely and only in Jesus to save me. I would encourage you today to, to look at this passage, not as God being out to get you, but God is out to save you. John three sixteen probably the most classic Bible verse of all time, for God so loved the world, for God so loved you, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not die, should not suffer judgment, but have everlasting life. And so if that's you this morning, if you feel God drawing you to himself, you say, Nathan, I wanna take the next step. I, I don't wanna be under the wrath of God, I wanna live a life that pleases God, I want him to save me. If that's you this morning, if you would, just do me a favor and raise your hand. If you feel God calling you to himself, drawing you to himself, thank you. If you feel God saying, hey, don't do this on your own. I wanna help you. I'm offering you salvation. Then today is the day of salvation. There's no need to, to put that off. And I'll be down front as well as Marty continues to play. If you want to come talk to me, if you want help, if you want to know how to follow Jesus, I'd be happy to pray with you. Let's take the next few minutes and just worship God together.